Theology Thursday live and today we are continuing our look into end times theology and particularly as in reference to dispensationalism. If you don't know what dispensationalism is, then that's fine. Um, a lot of churches you may be in, a lot of people you listen to on TV, uh, when they talk about end times um, matters, um, you may be listening to somebody who comes from it from a dispensational background. Um, and the way to know is if they talk about the, the rapture, for one. Um, so, But today we're going to be looking at the idea of the millennium. So, what is the millennium? Well, I am glad you asked that question. Millennium is from the word thousand, so a thousand years. Now, this comes from um, Revelation chapter 20. It's the only place in the Bible that mentions the millennium, the thousand year uh, reign of Christ. And so we'll read it here. Um, one of the things I say we have to take notice of, it's not just me, but a lot of other people too, that um, when you're in the book of Revelation, it is apocalyptic literature. If you're familiar at all with the book of Revelation, you know, it kind of mixes some genres. It has does have uh, letters to seven churches at the beginning, but then um, there's apocalyptic um, imagery and symbolisms, uh, and there's ways to interpret it. You go to the Old Testament, particularly Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, and you can see um, imagery um, from the Old Testament, and it helps you to be able to interpret these matters that are in the New Testament here in Revelation. So um, the contention is, the contention, the debate is whether the thousand years in the book of Revelation, there's a few different debates over it, but one is, is it a literal 1,000 years um, or is it symbolic, a, a symbolic number for, say, a long period of time? Then another debate is, um, is that, is Christ going to reign physically here on this planet for a thousand years, um, or is it? Does it have to do more with the the church age? And so we're going to look at different um, millennial perspectives. Basically, we're going to look at premillennial, postmillennial, and the amillennial position. So let me just read from the Bible first, and then we'll look at uh, again. I have Vern Poitras's book, um, Understanding Dispensationalists, and he's going to talk a little bit about about the millennium, so we can make a little bit of sense of it. And one of my things that I think is, whenever you see Christians who believe the Bible, they, they're sincere uh, believers uh, trying to find out what does the Bible say, um, a lot of the disagreement comes in from, um, sometimes the Bible can can be taken a couple of different ways, and we're, we're taking a different approach to it. But the Bible has one meaning. So somebody's right and somebody's wrong. There could be some issues where I guess there's nuances to it. But um, in this particular issue, hopefully somebody has it right. Um, but the, we bow our knee to what Scripture says. And then we had to come to that approach knowing that we bring to Scripture biases, um, presuppositions, and that sort of thing. So we need to be able to let the Bible speak through the Spirit um, afresh to be able to um, figure out what are these things. Um, and for, you know, if this is the first time you've ever thought about it, um, you know, welcome. <laughs> so this might not be the best way to get thrust into it, but, you know, it's not bad. But 
you know, we all have our end times theologies, basically. And so I'm addressing this to people who want to have those that theology subordinate to the scripture. What does the scripture say? And then we need to be able to be humble enough to be able to say uh, it's not clear here, or um, maybe it's more clear than we are seeing it, but we're just, because so many different people from different perspectives who are reading with the same believing in the authority of scripture um, are coming at it from different perspectives, hold it a little um open-handedly so that we can respectfully disagree and um, not have non-believers who listen in or people who are weak in their faith or young in their faith listen in and come away thinking there's no way to understand any of this stuff look they can't believe they nobody can understand the bible nobody can figure out the bible well you know there are things in scripture as peter says there are things in scripture that are difficult to understand that um unstable and crooked people twist to their destruction. So we want to make sure we're not doing that. So um, in this book, actually, I was going to read this, but I'm going to look at it real quick. Uh, Poitras does a really good job. And this is on page 46 of Understanding Dispensationalists. And it's just um, um, basically, let's see. Again, these are questions that one could spend a long time answering. So how do we understand Scripture? How do we interpret Scripture? And so he has these four things that he says um, are basic to how we um, interpret Scripture. One, we use grammatical historical interpretation. That is, we ask what the passage meant in the historical and linguistic situation in which it was originally recorded. So um, you don't just assume that somebody wrote this today. Because if somebody wrote it today, they might mean different things by what they say. So you have to take it in the original language. How was that language used back then? And how would people have interpreted what was written then? So you have to take that into account. It's called the grammatical historical method. Second, we use scripture to interpret scripture. This is sometimes called the analogy of faith. I never understood why it was called that. But um, it's the analogy of faith. Scripture interprets scripture. So he explains it. Clear passages can sometimes help us with more obscure ones. So you interpret the the less clear in light of the more clear. So there may be something in Scripture that's like, okay, that's plain. And then you get another Scripture that's kind of not clear, and you could take it in a way that contradicts that clear passage. And it's like, either you need to re-look at the clear passage, and maybe it wasn't so clear, but typically what you do is say, well, no, this is clear, and so we have to interpret it in light of that, because Scripture won't contradict itself. Um, when, so, and third, main points are clearer than details. We can be sure of the main points even at times when we're not confident that we have pinned down all the details. Things that the Bible teaches in many places or with great emphasis are held with greater confidence than things taught once or in passing because we're not so sure that we have um, understood the details correctly. So it doesn't mean that just because something's covered once is less important but um, if there's something that's only covered once, such as the millennium, um, it, then we have lots of other details that we are overall pictures, big picture things that we are told about. And then what about this detail about the millennium? Um, so we need to look at this. Four, we may rightly expect cumulative fulfillment in many prophecies that envision long-range promises or threats. And it's too much to get into with that one. But I want to read um, the... We have here in Revelation chapter 20, about the thousand years. You hear about the millennium, so let's see what it says real quick. 
Um, I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is spoken of in, in several different places. Um, and a great chain. And I think one of my contentions with the book of Revelation is, yeah, there's symbolisms and stuff. It's a lot of them just like, just you, you take it at the most basic level. Okay, so you, you can view, if a child were seeing this in a show, you can kind of say, okay, we recognize these things. Bottomless pit, a great chain. Okay. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So we're told who this is. And he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now, the interesting thing with this is, it's like, okay, why is this release at the end a little while? What, what, what's up with that thing? So, we'll continue a bit. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So, also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So who are the rest of the dead? So um, the ones who, um, the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast, so these are the believers um, and those who have been martyred, those who have died. Um, so they come to life. So anyway, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. So there's this final judgment that's taking place at the end of a thousand years, and they haven't come to life yet. Um, this is the first resurrection. Okay, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. The number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and, and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. And then he goes on. It comes up to the great white throne judgment. So, um, and then he gets the verse. Well, let's read it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So this is all the, you know, everybody now. The... Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
and just a little bit further then further then i saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor uh, pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for it is faithful and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, faithless, faithless the detestable murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right, so um, as we're looking at this other Amy, um, basically, big picture overview. Satan's defeated. Satan and death thrown into the lake of fire. There's salvation for the believers. There's um, a new heaven and new earth that's going to come in which righteousness dwells. There'll be this, every tear wiped from their, their eye. Um, the former things have passed away. And then God makes his, his throne um, with us um, in the new earth. So new heavens and new earth. So in this book, um, Poitras, he talks about the millennium. And he says, so what about the millennium? What are we to expect in the future? For one thing, we expect the coming of Christ. So we all agree that we expect the coming of Christ. And then he talks about, okay, what about the, the his contention is when we're thinking about the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, we have to think also um, connected in some way to new heavens and new earth. And so he makes some interesting points here. He says, it will not be an ethereal kingdom. In other words, you know, it's like just spiritual and not substantive, physical um, but new heavens and new earth. And earth as physical and solid as Christ's own resurrection body. And he um, gets all this from um, Hokema. Is that how you say his name? And so anyway, he's written a book on this too. He says, The emphasis on the new earth helps to bring the traditional millennial positions closer to one another. So his contention here is we need to think about the new earth. Okay, new heavens, new earth. Um. Most amillennialists, okay, so an amillennialist, um, I consider myself to be an amillennialist, millennialist. Um, and what that means is there is a millennium, obviously, doesn't mean there's no millennium, but what it means is, is that it's not a literal thousand years, and I believe that we're currently an amillennialist. Most amillennialists believe that this is the millennial age. The reign of Christ, Christ is reigning on his throne now. But there will be a time when Christ will reign physically on this earth um, because of the, this promise of new heavens and new earth. And so it, he goes on. Um, and then there's premillennialists um, and postmillennialists. Um, alike have usually put their their greatest emphasis on fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. So, um, go on just a little bit. It is surprisingly important then to include in our reckoning the new earth of Revelation 21, 1 through 22, 5. Um, 
He says, um, there's been a lot of disagreement over the character and date of the millennium. This has been particularly bad for amillennialists because it leaves them with no emphasis at all on the distinctively earthy character of the fulfillment. Dispensationalists have rightly objected to this kind of spiritualization. So, as I understand dispensationalism, um, a dispensationalist would believe that there's going to be a physical thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. There's the rapture, you're taken out, and then there's a seven-year tribulation, unless you're pre-trib or mid-trib, so there's three and a half years, and then you're taken out. So the big question among you know, most people I know who are dispensationalists at some level are, will the church go through tribulation or not? And that's what a lot of people are, are so afraid of going through the tribulation that we really need to have the rapture to get us out of it. But I think what we're going to see is, or maybe what we've been seeing, hopefully, is that rather than us talking about the rapture, we're actually talking about the resurrection, um, which we're talking about here in these two chapters in Revelation, where you know the, the dead have come to life, but the dead who are outside of Christ are waiting for the great right throne judgment, um, where they're held until the, the last day of, of judgment. And so, um, in the amillennialist position, again, it's all about when is Christ reigning. Um, and I believe he's reigning now. Most people would concur that he's reigning on his throne now, but it has to do with what about on this earth? And so, um, Poitras is making the point that really what we need to think about with this is this new heavens and new earth idea. He says, um, amillennialists consider that history goes on um, through and beyond the renewal of heaven and earth. They do not think of the final renewal as a distinction between time and eternity. They think of it not as starting over from scratch, but as renewal analogous to that of the believer um, to it being a new creation. Their vision of the consummation is very like classic premillennialism's vision of the millennium, except that sin is entirely gone. So in the, in the um, premillennial position of dispensationalists, man, these words are all sound so big. Um, that um, Christ will reign, but there will still be sin, but everybody will be believers. And so um, what, what the amillennialist position is, is that there'll be no sin in the new heavens and new earth in which Christ reigns. And the millennium time is the time that we're, we have now. And you see how some of this gets a little bit confusing. Um and then, and then the thing is, is like so many people have so many different views of these things. Um, anyway, so what, what I just want to say, and then we're going to look at this a little more next time. I'm going to take a little more time to, to, to put, lay this out a little better about what is pre-mill, post-mill, and on-mill positions. So next time we're going to do that in more detail. But what I kind of want to do just briefly today is to get us focused on big picture. Okay, so that, and then how do we kind of reconcile some of these things so that we can have better agreement and some agreeing to disagreements um, with people that think differently, you know, that a lot of Christians do. So I think as far as this millennium reign of Christ goes, is do we believe Christ reigns now in heaven on the throne and is over the church and uh, and we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now, as it is in heaven. But that will ultimately happen at some point in the future. And I think most people agree with that. So a post-millennialist believes that, um, basically, if I have it right, that, and any post-millennialist can feel free to correct me here, um, 
the church continues to grow and grow and grow. I mean, up and up and up and down. But finally, it, it ends up one day with this thousand-year reign, which for some people is literal, for some people it just means a long time, um, that the church evangelism works. It, it wins, that the nations all, I mean, for the most part, everybody's Christian in the world for this thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, and whether or not Christ reigns physically here or just through the church here, it's, I'm, I'm not sure. Different people can have different views on that. But, um, you know, we all hope that. We want to see the church grow more and more. And Christ said, I will build my church. I mean, and we don't know where we live on the history of salvation. Um, it may be Christ, you know, tarries for a very long time, but the church grows so significantly that you would think everybody in the earth is Christian now. That's what we want to do. We want to evangelize in such a way as that. Not from a position of weakness, but a position of strength. This is the Lord's world. All those that he calls will come to him. We want to make sure we're calling as his people as boldly and as um, as loudly and as lovingly um, as we can, prof professing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and calling people to repentance and faith. Um, not from a position of weakness, but a position of strength, knowing that Christ will win. So, you know, the question is, how does that all work out in time and space? I think we got to be a little careful with that, because what we're told is the commission of the church is to take the gospel to the world, to, to, to make disciples of nations, followers of Christ. And it doesn't mean that we're trying to have each nation say, you know, as for, you know, my, we're, we're a state religion, but, you know, if, if most people are Christians in a nation, then, you know, that's what we're looking for. We want to see um, more and more people coming to Christ, and Christ says he'll build his church. Um, if, if we are focused on some future rapture where we escape tribulation, I think you're missing most of what the scriptures teaching about the tribulation. I mean, depending on where you live, and I've said this before, you know, there's some terrible tribulation that's going on for Christians in China, um, with Iran, and the Muslim dominant cultures. Um, it's some terrible persecution of churches that are happening. Um, the church, I was talking to people in Haiti, they're not being persecuted as a church. They're just, they're, they're in terrible situation. They're hurting. They're, they're starving um, a lot, you know, very, at least there's hunger, uh, there's extreme poverty, and there's believers. And so, you know, what do we you know, believe about that? We're going to tell them. It's like, well, you're going to be raptured out of the, is that what our blessed hope is, the hope of the raptured church, or is our blessed hope the resurrection? There will be a day when Jesus comes and, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. There will be a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. There will be a physical reign of Christ. Um, and that will last forever. And so if it's the thing is that there's a thousand years. And, and so how's all millennialists deal with a thousand year Christ? Well, um, Christ is, um, Satan is bound, says that. And so he can no longer deceive the nations. Well, he seems to be deceiving the nations. But compared to, you know, the old covenant dispensations where we are, you know, where you are actually, and I know I use the word dispensation, but so is the Bible, but it's different than dispensationalism. Um, it, 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 Israel is always open to the nations. Anybody could convert. Anybody could come in. You submit to um, circumcision if you were a guy, and so you become a part of the nation of Israel. But it was rare. It, it was rare. But the mission of Israel is to be a blessing to the whole world. So this worldwide 
evangelistic mission of Israel was supposed to take place, but um, it had to wait for um, Jesus Christ to come so that you could preach the gospel. And now the binding of Satan, the way I view it, is at the crucifixion of Christ. He can no longer go and see the nations. The Spirit blows where he will. There's Christians all over the world. Um, you know, there's this... The, the, Now's the time. So missionaries go. This is this is when we go. This is when we we work. This is when we act. This is where you know God. Even if in your own local circle God doesn't seem to be at work, it's like well, there's a whole world out there. You know, we need to be more about this missionary effort. We need to be more about proclaiming the good news of Christ. Get our noses out of the news um, and, and start sharing the gospel with the people around us. If you're worried about racism and it's in your church, you call it out. If it's on your session and your leadership, you call it out. You deal with it. You you call it for what it is, and you let people know we're creating an image of Christ. We're image bearers of Christ from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and that's what we're supposed to be about, about advancing the gospel and bringing the kingdom of God, salt and light, into this world. Is that going to mean, what's going to happen? The world's going to become more and more Christian? Amen. World's going to become, you know, tares and wheat growing up together side by side. You know, Bible imagery of that too. And then the, the end comes, or you know, the church gets real small and very persecuted. Then the end comes. Here's what: <laughs> what's your hope in? Those things are interesting. Those things might even make a difference in some different levels. The Bible's talking about. We need to figure out what it's saying, why it's saying it, because that will make a difference. But you have to be careful that just because the Bible says something, you got to make sure that your interpretation of that something, when you see lots of other Christians are disagreeing with it, that you have to be careful that you don't make it central where it's not even central to the faith. And so that's what I think we've done a lot of times, particularly with denominations. We've separated over things that are not particular to the faith. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as we don't let it separate believers um uh, let me start on that one but i think focus on the mission focus on the mission and what's our hope that one day we'll be of christ this will come to an end this world is anyway where's it talk about that it talks about you know don't be in love with this world or the things of this world because this world's passing away you know so if you're if you're worshiping this world it's going to be gone and and then you'll be swept away with it but the things that are solid, the things that last, the things that, you know, are eternal, or, or there are some things here now, and this new heavens and new earth happens. Um, that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to the resurrection. We're looking forward to being with Christ forever. This, There will be a return of Christ, and then the end will come. Um, and that's what, you know, what are we supposed to, what kind of people ought we to be in the meantime, is what the Bible says. And it means zealous after the faith. Um, pursuing righteousness um, in, in ourselves and, and being able to um, speak truth to love, to, to, to call people to repentance and faith, to, um, to be faithful in our marriages and in our work and our place to be the people Christ would have us to be. So I just think it's encouraging here at the end of, of Revelation, there's a, there's a reign. Christ is reigning. Satan is defeated. There will be judgment. There will be new heavens and new earth. There is a river of life. There is hope. There are, there are these things. And I think that uh, what concerns me as I see difficult times occurring and I see a great portion of the church, and I don't think I want to talk about the millennium after this. Actually, if anybody has questions, we'll look at it more. But um, I think the 
there's such a preoccupation with, is this the end of the time? Is this it? And it's like, it's going to be it for you one day. You might get in the car and you, got, and you get hit. That's it. You're dead. You know, something happens to you. Um, that's what are you going to do with the time you have left? What are you going to do with the time you have left? I mean, that's, that's what we need to do. And your church, what are you going to do with the time you have left? Maybe the time is short. You know how much time you have. You live every day. Teach us to number our days. Focus on the scriptures. Focus on your faith. Focus on the people around you. Love people. Call people to faith. Be open to um, criticism and be open to people who admonish you. Um, these things, you know, you're putting a body. Uh, it's been awful that the current state of the church in the country, at least, seems to be, you know, gathering together isn't so important. I think that thing about the church is the people, not the building, the church. You know, you don't have to be gathered or something. I think it's coming back to bite people. Um, you need to be careful with that. We're a body. We're supposed to gather together. So um, figure out ways to do it. I, mean, I know if it's a snowstorm, if it's dangerous, if there's a tornado, you know, you don't risk life to travel somewhere in a short period of time. But long term, you got to figure out how to be a part of the body of Christ. you got to figure out how to love one another, be together, and, and, and praying for one another and um, and going through scriptures with one another, listening to how other people are, what they're seeing in scripture and what they're hearing, and then testing it against scriptures to see if we agree with those things or not. So, I don't know. you got to be the church. So if your church is, it, I mean, help your church to grow. If they're, if your church people are in error, you got to figure out how to take them to the word and lead them in truth. And um, if your church is in sin, whether it be whatever kind of sin it is, and it's a, you got to preach against it. And not only do you preach against it, but you speak directly to people about it. And that's going to be hard, and you're going to lose people. But you know what? We lost a bunch of people from a virus that was outside of our control, just people who are probably never going back to church. But you know, there's winnowings that happen, but Jesus is going to win. There's going to be a resurrection, a blessed hope. And so we need to live that out in front of people. So when people see Christians... They don't see a bunch of people huddled in a corner waiting for some day when Jesus is going to finally come back and get us out of this and we're scared to death or we're going to have to go through some kind of hardship. But we're the people who stand forth in front of the abyss and we are able to say, I know who has the keys of death in Hades. I know the one who has this. I fear not death because it's the last enemy to be defeated and I know the one that will defeat it and his name is Jesus Christ and I'm on his side. And he's for me, and I'm for him. And uh, we need to let other people know about that, too. All right, so it may not be what you want. I think we're looking for answers. I think we want to know what happens at the end. But we need to know, you know him who has all this planned out from the, from the beginning. Stay focused on your mission. I guess that's it. All right, God bless. Go to church. Yeah, that's it. Interesting thing to tell people, isn't it? All right, we'll figure it out.